welcome to Mendocino Theatre Company's production of The Bear by Anton Chekhov. I'm Pamela Allen, MTC's Artistic Director. And with me tonight is the director. Hi, I'm Laurie LaPaul. Hi, Pam. How are you, Laurie? I'm good. <laughs> I'm excited for the audience to hear our delightful play. It's very funny, this one act by Chekhov. People don't often think of Chekhov as humorous, but actually, he wrote a lot of comedy. He actually called this a silly French vaudeville. Yes, or a joke. Or I think a joke. He sometimes called these his jokes. We have three fabulous actors tonight Bob Cohen, Gina O'Farrell, and Mark Friedrich. Without further ado, please enjoy Mendocino Theatre Company's production of The Bear by Anton Chekhov. We are in a well-furnished reception room in Mrs. Popoff's home. Mrs. Popoff is discovered in deep mourning, sitting upon a sofa, gazing steadfastly at a photograph. Luca, an old trusted servant, is also present. It isn't right, ma'am. You're wearing yourself out. The maid and the cook have gone looking for berries. Everything that breathes is enjoying life. Even the cat knows how to be happy. Slips about the courtyard and catches birds. But you hide yourself here in the house as though you were in a cloister. Yes, truly, by actual reckoning, you haven't left this house for a whole year. And I never shall leave it. Why should I? My life is over. He lies in his grave. And I have buried myself within these four walls. We are both dead. Oh, there you go again. It's too awful to listen to. So it is. Nikolai Mikhailovich is dead. It was the will of the Lord, and the Lord has given him eternal peace. You have grieved over it, and that ought to be enough. Now it's time to stop. One can't weep and wear mourning forever. You know, my wife died a few years ago. I grieved for her. I wept the whole month. And then it was over. Must one be forever singing lamentations? That would be more than your husband was worth. You don't go out and you receive no one. We live, you'll pardon me, like the spiders and the good light of day we never see. All the livery is eaten by mice as though there weren't any nice people in the world. But the whole neighborhood is full of gentlefolk. The regiment is stationed in Riblov. Officers simply beautiful. One can't see enough of them. Every Friday a ball and military music every day. Oh, my dear, dear madam... Young and pretty as you are, if, if you'd only let your spirits live, beauty can't last forever. When ten short years are over, you'll be glad enough to go out a bit and meet the officers, and then it'll be too late. Please do not speak of these things again. You know very well that since the death of Nikolai Mikhailovich, my life is absolutely nothing to me. You think I live, but it only seems so. Do you understand? Oh, that his departed soul may see how I love him. I know it's no secret to you. He was often unjust to me, cruel, and he wasn't faithful. But I shall be faithful to the grave and prove to him how I can love. There in the beyond, he'll find me the same as I was until his death. What's the use of all these words when you'd rather go walking in the garden or order Tobby or Willikin harness to the trap and visit the neighbors? Madam, dear madam, what is it? In heaven's name. He loved Toby so. He always drove him to the Korchikins or the Vlasovs. 
What a wonderful horseman he was. How fine he looked when he pulled at the reins with all his might. Toby, Toby, give him an extra measure of oats today. Yes, ma'am. What's that? I, I am at home to no one. Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Popoff gazes at the photograph of her deceased husband. You shall see, Nikolai, how I can love and forgive. My love will die. Only with me when my poor heart stops beating. And <sighs> aren't you ashamed? I have been a good true wife. I have imprisoned myself and I shall remain true until death. And you, 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 you're not even ashamed of yourself, my dear monster. You quarreled with me. Left me alone for weeks. Oh, ma'am, someone is asking for you, insists on seeing you. You told him that since my husband's death, I received no one. I said so. But he won't listen. He says it's a pressing matter. I receive no I one. I told him that, but he's a wild man. He swore and pushed himself into the room. He's in the dining room now. Ah, oh, good. Show him in. The impudent. Oh, what a bore people are. What can they want with me? Why do they disturb my peace? Ah, oh, yes. It is clear I must enter a convent. Yes, yes. A convent. Fool, you make too much noise. You're an ass. Ah, madam, I have the honor to introduce myself. Lieutenant in the artillery, retired country gentleman, Grigory Stepanovich Smirnov. I am compelled to bother you about an exceedingly important matter. What is it you wish? Your deceased husband, with whom I had the honor to be acquainted, left me two notes amounting to about 1,200 rubles. Inasmuch as I have to pay the interest tomorrow on a loan from the agrarian bank, I should like to request, madam, that you pay me the money today. 1,200 and for what was my husband indebted to you? He bought oats from me. Luca, don't forget to give Toby an extra measure of oats. Yes, ma'am. If Nikolai Mikhailovich is indebted to you, I shall, of course, pay you. But I am sorry, I haven't the money today. Tomorrow my manager will return from the city and I shall notify him to pay you what is due you. But until then, I cannot satisfy your request. Furthermore, today is just seven months since the death of my husband. And I am not in the mood to discuss money matters. And I am in the mood to fly up the chimney with my feet in the air if I can't lay my hands on that interest tomorrow. They'll seize my estate. Day after tomorrow, you will receive the money. I don't need the money day after tomorrow. I need it today. I'm sorry I can't pay you today. And I can't wait until day after tomorrow. But what can I do if I haven't it? So you can't pay? I cannot! Uh, is that your last word? My last? Absolutely. Absolutely! Oh, thank you. Uh, and they expect me to stand for all that? The toll-gatherer just now met me in the road and asked why I was always worrying. Why, in heaven's name, shouldn't I worry? I need money. I feel the knife at my throat. Yesterday morning, I left my house in the early dawn and called on all my debtors. If even one of them had paid his debt, I worked a skin off my fingers. Devil knows what sort of inn I slept, in a room with a barrel of brandy. And now at last I come here, seventy versed from my home, hope for a little money, and all you give me is moods? 
Why shouldn't I worry? I thought I made it plain to you that my manager will return from town, and then you will get your money. I did not come to see the manager. I came to see you. What the devil... Oh, pardon the language. Do I care for your manager? Really, sir, I am not used to such language or such manners. I shan't listen to you any further. <laughs> what can one say to that? Foods. Seven months since her husband died... Do I have to pay the interest or not? I repeat the question. Have I to pay the interest or not? Well, the husband is dead and all that. The manager is devil with him traveling somewhere. Now tell me, what am I to do? Shall I run away from my creditors in a balloon or knock my head against a stone wall? If I call on Gustav, he chooses to be not at home. Rochevich has simply hidden himself. I have quarreled with Curzon and came near throwing him out of a window. Miss Sutov is ill and this woman has moods. Not one of them will pay up. And all because I've spoiled them. Because I'm an old whiner, dishrag. I'm too tender-hearted with them. But wait! I allow nobody to play tricks with me, the devil with them all. I'll stay here and not budge until she pays. Oh, how angry I am, how terribly angry I am. Every tendon is trembling with anger and I can hardly breathe. I'm even growing ill. Servant! What is it you wish? Bring me kvass or water. Well, what can we do? She hasn't it on hand. What sort of logic is that? A fellow stands with a knife at his throat. He needs money. He's on the point of hanging himself. And she won't pay because she isn't in a mood to discuss money matters? Women's logic. <laughs> That's why I never like to talk to women and why I dislike doing it now. I would rather sit on a powder barrel than talk with a woman. Oh, I'm getting cold as ice. Safar has made me so angry. I need only to see such a romantic creature from a distance. It gets so angry that I have cramps in my calves. It's enough to make one yell for help. Luca enters, bringing a cup of water. Madam is ill and not receiving. March! Ill and not receiving. All right. It isn't necessary. I won't receive either. I'll sit here and stay until you bring that money. If you're ill a week, I'll sit here a week. If you're ill a year, I'll sit here a year. As heaven is my witness, I'll get the money. You don't disturb me with your mourning or with your dimples. We know these dimples. Simon, unharness. Hey, we aren't going to leave right away. I'm going to stay here. Tell them in the stable to give the horses some oats. The left horse has twisted the bridle again. Stop! I'll show you how. Stop! It's awful. Unbearable heat, no money, didn't sleep last night, and now morning dresses with moods. My head aches. Perhaps I ought to have a drink. Yes, I must have a drink. Servant! What? Do you wish? Something to drink. Ugh, a fine figure I am. Yeah, no use denying that. Dust, dirty boots, unwashed, uncombed, straw in my vest. And the lady probably took me for a highwayman. It was a little impolite to come into a reception room with such clothes. Oh, well, no harm done. I'm not here as a guest. I'm a creditor. And there is no special costume for creditors. You take great liberties, sir. What? I... I just... Whom are you talking to? Keep quiet. 
Nice mess. This fellow won't leave. Lord, how angry I am. Angry enough to throw mud at the whole world. I even feel ill. Servant! But instead of Luca, Mrs. Popoff enters. Sir, in my solitude, I have become unaccustomed to the human voice, and I cannot stand the sound of loud talking. I beg you, please, to cease disturbing my rest. Pay me my money and I'll leave. I told you once plainly, in your native tongue, that I haven't the money at hand. Wait until day after tomorrow. And I have also had the honor of informing you in your native tongue that I need the money, not day after tomorrow, but today. If you don't pay me today, I shall have to hang myself tomorrow. What can I do if I haven't the money? So you're not going to pay immediately, you're not? I cannot! Then I'll sit here until I get the money. You will pay day after tomorrow? Excellent. Here I stay until day after tomorrow. I ask you, do I have to pay that interest tomorrow or not? Or do you think I'm joking? Sir, I beg of you, don't scream! This is not a stable. I'm not talking about stables. I'm asking you whether I have to pay that interest tomorrow or not. You have no idea how to treat a lady. Oh, yes, I have. No, you have not. You are an ill-bred, vulgar person. Respectable people don't speak so to ladies. How remarkable. How do you want me to speak to you? In French, perhaps? Madame, je vous prie. Pardon me for having disturbed you. What beautiful weather we're having today. And how this morning becomes you. He makes a low bow with mock ceremony. Not at all funny. I think it vulgar. Not at all funny. I think it vulgar. I don't understand how to behave in a company of ladies. Madam, in the course of my life, I have seen more women than you have sparrows. Three times I have fought duels for women. Twelve I jilted and nine jilted me. It was a time when I played the fool, used honeyed language, bowed and scraped. I loved, suffered, sighed to the moon, melted in love's torments. I loved passionately. I loved a madness, loved in every key, chattered like a magpipe on emancipation, sacrificed half my fortune in the tender passions. Until now, the devil knows I've had enough of it. Your obedient servant will let you lead him around by the nose no more. Enough! Black eyes, passionate eyes, coral lips, dimples in cheeks, moonlight whispers, soft, modest sighs. For all that, madam, I wouldn't pay a kopeck. I'm not speaking of present company, but of women in general. From the tiniest to the greatest, they are conceited, hypocritical, chattering, odious, Deceitful from top to toe, vain, petty, cruel with a maddening logic. In this respect, please excuse my frankness, but one sparrow is worth ten of the aforementioned petticoat philosophers. <laughs> when one sees one of the romantic creatures before him, he imagines he's looking at some holy being, so wonderful that its one breath could dissolve him in a sea of a thousand charms and delights. But if one looks into the soul, it's nothing but a common crocodile. He seizes the armchair and breaks it in two. But worst of all is his crocodile imagined itself as a masterpiece of creation, in that it has a monopoly on all the tender passions. May the devil hang me upside down if there is anything to love about a woman. 
When she's in love, all she knows how is to complain and shed tears. If the man suffers and makes sacrifices, she swings her train about and tries to lead him by the nose. You have the misfortune to be a woman, and naturally you know women's nature. Tell me on your honor, have you ever in your life seen a woman who is really true and faithful? Never. Only the old and deformed are true and faithful. It's easier to find a cat with horns or a white woodcock than a faithful woman. But allow me to ask, who is true and faithful in love? The man, perhaps? Yes, indeed. The man. <laughs> the man! <laughs> the man true and faithful in love. <laughs> well, that is something new. How can you make such a statement? Men true and faithful. So long as we have gone thus far, I may as well say that of all the men I have known, my husband was the best. I loved him passionately, with all my soul, as only a young, sensible woman may love. I gave him my youth, my happiness, my fortune, my life. I worshipped him like a heathen. But what happened? This best of men betrayed me in every possible way. After his death, I found his desk filled with love letters. While he was alive, he left me alone for months. It is horrible even to think about it. He made love to other women in my very presence. He wasted my money and made fun of my feelings. And in spite of everything, I trusted him and I was true to him. And more than that, he is dead. And I am still true to him. I have buried myself within these four walls, and I shall wear this mourning to my grave. <laughs> mourning? What on earth do you take me for? As if I didn't know why you wore this black domino and why you buried yourself within these four walls. Such a secret, so romantic... Some knight will pass the castle, gaze up at the window, and think to himself, Here dwells the mysterious Tamara, who, for the love of her husband, has buried herself within four walls. Oh, I understand the art. What? What do you mean by saying such things to me? You have buried yourself alive, but meanwhile you have not forgotten to powder your nose. How dare you speak so? Don't scream at me, please. I am not the manager. Allow me to call things out by their right names. I am not a woman, and I am accustomed to speak out what I think. So please don't scream. I'm not screaming! It is you who are screaming! Please, leave me. I beg you. Pay me my money and I'll leave. I won't give you the money. You won't? You won't give me my money? I don't care what you do. You won't get a kopeck. Leave me. As I haven't had the pleasure of being... Either your husband or your fiancé, please don't make a scene. I can't stand it. You are going to sit down? I already have. Kindly leave the house. Give me my money. I don't care to speak with impudent men. Leave! You aren't going? No. No? No. Very well. Luca, show the gentleman out. Sir, why don't you leave when you're ordered? What do you want? Whom are you talking to? I'll grind you to powder. God, good Lord. Go, Emil. Oh, oh I can't breathe. 
I'm ill. Water! Leave! Get out! Kindly be a little more polite. Oh, you are vulgar! You're a bore! A monster! What did you say? I said you were a bore! A monster! Permit me to ask what right you have to insult me? What of it do you think I'm afraid of you? And you think that because you are a romantic creature you can insult me without being punished? I challenge you. Merciful heaven! Water! We'll have a duel. Do you think because you have big fists and a steer's neck I am afraid of you? I allow no one to insult me. And I make no exception because you're a woman, one of the weaker sex. Bar, bar, bar! It is high time to do away with the old superstition and only the man who is forced to give satisfaction. If there is to be equity at all, let there be equity in all things. There's a limit. You wish to fight a duel? Very well. Immediately. Immediately! My husband had pistols. I'll bring them. Oh, what a pleasure it will be to put a bullet in your impudent head. That devil take you. I'll shoot her down. I'm no fledgling, no sentimental young puppy. For me, there is no weaker sex. Oh, sir, have mercy on me, an old man, and go away. You frightened me to death already, and now you want to fight a duel. A duel. That's equity, emancipation. That way the sexes are made equal. I'll shoot her down as a matter of principle. What can a person say to such a woman? The devil take you. I'll put a bullet in your impudent head. What can one say to that? She was angry, her eyes blazed, she accepted the challenge. On my honor, it's the first time in my life I ever saw such a woman. Oh, sir, go away! Go away! That is a woman. I can understand her. A real woman. No shilly-shallying but fire, powder, and noise. It would be a pity to shoot a woman like that. <laughs> oh, sir, go away! Here are the pistols, but before we have our duel, please show me how to shoot. I've never had a pistol in my hands before. God be merciful and have pity upon us. I'll go and get the gardener and the coachman. Why has this horror come to us? You see, there are different kinds. There are special dueling pistols with cap and ball, but these are revolvers, Myth and Wesson, with ejectors. Fine pistols. A, a pair like that cost at least 90 rubles. This is the way to hold a revolver. Those eyes. Those eyes. A real woman. Like this. Yes, uh, that way. Uh, well, then you pull the hammer back. So then you aim. Uh, well, put your head back a little. Stretch your arm out, please. So then press your finger on the thing like that. And that is all. Uh, the chief thing is, uh, don't get excited, don't hurry your aim, and take care that your hand doesn't tremble. It isn't well to shoot inside. Let's go into the garden. Yes. I'll tell you now, I'm going to shoot into the air. Oh, that is too much. Why? Because, because, that's my business. You, you are afraid. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. My dear sir, no flinching. Please follow me. I won't rest until I've made a hole in that head I hate so much. Are you afraid? Yes, I'm afraid. You're lying. Why won't you fight? Because, because I like you. Ha! Ha! You like me? He dares to say he likes me? 
Go! Smirnoff lays the revolver silently on the table, takes his hat, and starts to go. At the door, he stops a moment, gazing at her silently. Then he approaches her, hesitating. Uh, listen, uh, are you still angry? I, I was mad as a devil, but please understand me. How can I express myself? The thing is like this. Such things are... <clears throat> now is it my fault you owe me money? Grasps the back of the chair, which breaks. Devil knows what breakable furniture you have. I like you. I'm almost in love. Leave! I... I hate you. Lord, what a woman. I never in my life have met one like her. I'm lost, ruined. I've been caught like a mouse in a trap. Go or I'll shoot! Shoot! You have no idea what happiness it would be to die in the sight of those beautiful eyes. To die from the revolver in this little velvet hand. I'm mad. Consider it and decide immediately. For if I go now, we shall never see each other again. Decide. Speak. I am a noble, a respectable man, have an income of 10,000, can shoot a coin thrown into the air. I own some fine horses. Will you be my wife? I'll shoot! My mind is not clear, I can't understand. Servant! Water! I have fallen in love like any young man. I love you. I love you as I have never loved before. Twelve women I jilted, nine jilted me, but not one of them have I loved as I loved you. I am conquered, lost. I lie at your feet like a fool and beg for your hand. Shame and disgrace. For five years I haven't been in love. I thank the Lord for it. And now I am caught like a carriage tongue in another carriage. I beg for your hand. Yes or no? Will you? Good. He gets up and goes quickly to the door. Wait a minute! Well? Uh, nothing. You may go. Ah, uh, but wait a minute! No, no, go on, go on. I hate you. Oh, no, don't go! Oh, if you knew how angry I was, how angry! Ah, uh, my finger is swollen from this thing. What are you standing there for? Get out! Farewell. Yes, go! Why are you going? Wait, wait, no. Go. Oh, how angry I am. Don't come too near. Don't come too near. Come no nearer. How angry I am with myself. Fall in love like a schoolboy. Throw myself on my knees. I've got to chill. I love you. This is fine. All I needed was to fall in love. Tomorrow I have to pay my interest. Hay harvest has begun, and then you appear. I can never forgive myself. Go away. Take your hands off me. I hate you. You, this is... There is a long kiss. Luca enters with an axe, the gardener with a rake, the coachman with a pitchfork, and workmen with poles. Merciful heavens! Tell them in the stable that Toby isn't to have any oats.
everyone. I'm Lori LePaul. I directed this radio production. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I loved directing it, and I loved working with these three wonderful actors. I thought it would be interesting. We sometimes have a Q&A after our stage plays, and I thought I'd do a little Q&A now with the actors. Bob played <laughs> Luca. So, Bob, I have a question for you. Okay, Lori. <laughs> what is the biggest challenge to an actor in doing a radio show as compared to doing a live performance oh, on yeah, stage? That's, that's a good question. The biggest difference is probably that it's kind of a, a one-dimensional medium. So you are hearing but not seeing. When we're on stage, we move around, we have facial expressions, we relate to other people in physical ways. And when we're doing a radio show, it's all about our voice, which is also the big challenge is that how do you project the character using your voice only? I think it's I think it's interesting. The other thing is that's good for actors is it really doesn't matter what type you are. If your voice is right, it doesn't matter if you're 102 or like me, I'm 81. <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, you know, when you when you're casting people for radio, you're casting off of a voice tape. You know, if that's right, then you got your actor. Yeah, you uh, actually answered uh, something I was going to say about the challenge of directing a radio show rather than a stage show, and you actually answered uh, a lot of what I would said, the challenge of uh, working you, with the voices. You mean I took your light away? Yes, you did, Bob. Gosh. Thank you so much, Bob. That was fun. I have a question now for Gina, who played Mrs. Popoff, Elena. Gina, what about, if anything, did you resonate with the character that you portray? And I'll let you answer that, but if you feel that there was nothing in the character that is familiar to you, you can answer that in general. How do you make that character genuine and believable? Uh, um, well, she's very passionate. She definitely has an, an idea of herself, sort of highfalutin on a high horse. But she's actually has a lot of freshness about her and really wants to live life. And so she's got these two things going on. And I, I mean, I just think that's kind of a universal human thing. Do, do you and feel I, like you have some of those? Oh, well, yeah, sometimes I, yeah, <laughs> I definitely get on a high horse and <laughs> feel much better when I'm just in the flow of life and get off my high horse. Yeah. yeah. So. And what if, if you ever, have you ever had to play a character where you felt absolutely no familiarity with, like somebody that was totally out of your ken? And, and if so, how did you kind of make that contact? Not really, because I think that, you know, as a human being, we sort of can imagine anything human. I mean, there are definitely places where you didn't have trouble, but I think that I can, I've always been able to imagine, yeah, making a connection. It's, it's not like me and my personality, but something I can, there's only something I can resonate with even, you know. Well, we're all human. Yeah, number. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even mass murderers and stuff. Yeah. Oh, which, ooh, which you brought up, yeah, you brought up a very, very interesting thing because that's the question yeah. I have for Mark. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go right into Mark's question. Thank you so much, Gina. You're I loved your welcome. Elena, and I love Bob's Luca, <laughs> and uh, Mark's Mr. Smirnoff. Thank you, Gina. And actually, when you said mass murders, that leads me into the last question, which I have for Mark. What challenges do you think an actor would have in portraying a really evil character? Well, I seem to have played a couple of quote-unquote bad guys throughout my uh stage career from 
wrote in Wait Until Dark to Richard III to quite a few different ones. Harry Brock in Born Yesterday. Uh, and one thing I learned uh, a long time ago, because I never seem to get the handsome leading man roles, I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I always lose the girl in the end, not Gainer. But uh, awesome. in any case, uh, <laughs> in any case, one thing you learn in any character, of course, is you've got to find what you like about the character. And when you're playing a character that can be truly evil, a rote was as evil as they get. He tortured a blind woman for pleasure. But you have to find some core or kernel in the character that you personally like. Uh, and that can be difficult if it's a truly evil character. But if you find cleverness or a quick mind or something in there that you like, then you can play that character. So you feel like it's important that the audience can somehow instead of completely disliking a character, somehow have to understand his humanity? or Well, I think they have to understand that the character likes himself. <sighs> Even if he despises himself, there's something in him that he likes, and you have to find that. Thank you, Mark. Now, Ken Krauss is our absolutely wonderful, amazing sound designer and sound technician. He brings all the sounds that just make everything pop and sound realistic so that you at home in the radio audience can imagine where the characters are so it all comes to life. So, Ken, you've done sound design for like a dozen or more stage productions for Mendocino Theater Company, and now you've done a number for our radio, like the one-minute plays, mm -hmm. our longer plays. What are the challenges for you? What are the differences for you in having to design and do the tech for something on stage as compared to doing it on radio? Well, I know with working on the on-stage productions, I was uh, basically in service to a director's vision, and I mean that literally, what the director saw and how I could bring some uh, depth to that using sounds, using, uh, say, a sound effect here of a car door closing to let somebody, let you know that somebody had arrived. But with... Radio, sound is like a real underpinning to the whole thing. It really sets the scene. Whereas with a onstage production, sound is kind of like a seasoning to the, to the broth. On, on a uh, radio production, it is the broth. Yeah. It is what the whole world exists in. So uh, the challenge to me is, is a lot uh, more uh, of drawing out a picture uh, auditorially, auditorially, and <laughs> I think that's if right. that's a word. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, it gives a chance to draw out a, a scene that uh, exists with sound. And uh, I, I like that. I like that sound is such a huge part of radio, and it makes a world that people can then feel they're a part of or like they're observing something in their mind, it gives people a chance to use their imagination, and that's really cool. Well, I, I remember, like, people on my mom and dad talking about their favorite radio programs, and, it, like, they'd gather around the radio, and it was a thing very different than watching television, which mm -hmm. is somehow, I feel like, a little bit more passive. Mm -hmm. Like, listening to the radio, you really, you know, and all those those fun radio shows they used to have. Yeah, um, and also what I love what you do is that you also bring in music that you feel like I know for stage, the director usually has a pretty good idea of what mm -hmm. kind of background music. But like for radio, I 
you're very creative. You're bringing in not just the actual sounds from the play, but you're bringing in music that kind of also adds to the ambience or the mm-hmm. feeling that the play kind of projects. It gives me a chance to be kind of a DJ, which is fun. <laughs> and it's also uh, a chance to introduce people maybe to a different version of a song. I like to find not just a popular version of a song, but something where somebody did a cover of a song and used that as and in a different style maybe than people are used to. So that something that would be a rock song could be a bluegrass version. And and I've done that before with some of the productions I've done the pre-show and, and intermission music on. So that's fun too. But on the radio shows, uh, using a kind of a theme song, which we have our own theme that we use just about in every uh, one of the, the radio plays. But also uh, sometimes I get to put a, a bit of music at the beginning and end of a play. And that's fun. I think it really makes it, something that's enjoyable and and, uh, gives people a a real sense of the parentheses that surrounds the the play. Thank you so much, Ken. Mm -hmm. It was lovely working with you. Yeah, it was great to work with you again, too. Thank you, Ken. You have been listening to Mendocino Theatre Company's production of The Bear by Anton Chekhov, featuring Bob Cohen as Luca, Gina O'Farrell as Elena Popov, Mark Friedrich as Grigory Smirnov, with sound production and design by Ken Krauss. The production was directed by Lori LePaul. Thanks so much, Lori, Bob, Gina, and Mark. If you enjoyed this production, come see us live. We are actually reopening on September 9th with The Cemetery Club, directed by Bob Cohen. And then another production opens November 4th, Tiny Beautiful Things. To find out more about Mendocino Theatre Company, go to mendocinotheatre.org. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 